I want to put a verse on the screen that I would like you to see. It comes from the Gospel of Mark, straight out of the Gospel from the first part of Jesus' ministry. Because I want the opening comments uh, <clears throat> in the message today to be centered around them. Mark says, in those days, Jesus came preaching the gospel, that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus was not the first to use the phrase, the kingdom of God. Other people used it. Lots of people used it. And all of them had verses to back up their use. By the time Jesus came physically to the earth, there were hundreds of men who had claimed to be the Messiah, the anointed one. Almost all of them had a message, and almost all of the messages were about the kingdom of God. And while the personalities were different, the themes were pretty much the same. And it went something like this. When the kingdom of God comes, it will be like the day of the Lord. It will be an apocalyptic event at the end of time when God will send the anointed one into the world and he will set up a throne in the city of Jerusalem and he will regather the Jews from all over the world and there they will come home. He will elevate them so that they are given their rightful positions of authority according to the promise he made to Abraham. There will be resistance. There will be armies or nations in the world that will fight against the coming of the Anointed One. As in Psalm chapter 2, the nations will rage, but God and His holy ones will fight back against him, and they will overcome them. It will be a day when the righteous and the unrighteous are separated from each other, when that which is righteous will finally rule the earth. It will be something like a judgment day. Those who are not converted will be severely punished. So when Jesus came speaking about the kingdom of God, he spoke into that mentality. You, you hear it when his disciples keep thinking about the kingdom of God. He didn't introduce it to them. Remember, just before he left in Acts chapter 1, the disciples said to him, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They had clear expectations of what this kingdom was going to be like, but every time Jesus spoke about the kingdom, he spoke about it in different ways. So what I did, one of the things this last week was just to read through some of the things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God and how that must have pushed back against everything that they grew up believing. For instance, they said the kingdom is largely political. It is when justice and righteousness comes to the earth Jesus said the kingdom is largely moral. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us 
from the evil one. They said, when the time comes, the kingdom will come. He said, the kingdom is already here. He said, the kingdom of heaven is near. Literally, it is at your fingertips. They said, when the kingdom comes, it will be universal, like the waters cover the earth. So the earth will be filled with people who love God and practice his ways. But he said, the kingdom will be local. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. They said, when the kingdom comes, he will restore all Jews to their rightful place. He said, when the kingdom comes, he will restore all people, Gentiles included, to their rightful place. In fact, he said, there are Gentiles who will get into the kingdom ahead of you, the Jews. They said, when the kingdom comes, we will be rich. He said, the poor in spirit are the kingdom of God. They said, when the kingdom comes, we will fight with God for righteousness' sake. He said, when the kingdom comes, you will suffer for righteousness' sake. They said, when the kingdom comes, the king will be exalted. He said, when the kingdom comes, the king will be crucified. They both believed in the kingdom. And Jesus never doubted that some of what they were saying was true, but he filled this language, the kingdom of God, with such a local, a personal, a moral component that they didn't have. And I guess my reason for starting like this is that if you grew up as I did inside of a church, inside of a religious community, then you probably, like I did, you confuse the kingdom of God with paradise. The idea that we will be taken from the earth into the kingdom of God. Or you confused it with this apocalyptic event at the end of time when Christ shall return and every eye shall see him and he will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And those who are not converted will be severely punished. Maybe you, like me, grew up with this mentality that, that the kingdom of God is this big event at the end of time that God will bring to the earth. And Jesus, while not disputing that, says the kingdom of God has already started. It is already within you. It is at your fingertips. It is as local and it is as personal as an individual doing the right thing day after day in tiny unseen places. That is when the kingdom comes. And the reason why this has gripped me this week is because I think sometimes um, we, are, we are like they were. 
we have the same ideas, except we have the opposite ones. See, their problem was that they believed in the kingdom of God, but they couldn't believe in the king when he appeared. Jesus is the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is Jesus. And they couldn't accept the king even though they were looking for the kingdom. See, our problem is the opposite. We have gladly accepted the king, but we have a hard time swallowing the kingdom. You see, the king is Jesus, and the kingdom is the ways of Jesus. So what I mean is sometimes we have accepted Jesus, but we have a hard time accepting the ways of Jesus. I mean, we believe in Jesus. We just don't always believe Jesus. <laughs> and we don't always practice what Jesus believed. <laughs> but that is the kingdom. So, for instance, Jesus said, the rich are the poor in spirit, but the poor are the ones who spend their whole lives trying to get rich, yet that is exactly what we do. Jesus said, when you forgive your enemies and release them, you overcome evil with good, but when you try to overcome your enemies, you only prolong the evil, yet that is exactly what we do when Jesus said, if you lose your life for something that is bigger than your life, then your life will expand as you get older. But if you try to save your life for yourself, then your life will get smaller inch by inch by inch the older you get until you are 70, 80, and 90, and all you will have is your tiny little self. Yet that is exactly what we do. We take fewer risks. We become more self-absorbed and more ingrown the older we get, even though the kingdom is moving in the other direction. So my point is, we have the same problem, only backwards. We are waiting for the king while the kingdom is present. And we miss it. They were waiting for the kingdom while the king was present. And they missed him. But Jesus is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is Jesus. And so everyone who claims the name of Jesus must take up the kingdom of God. Amen. I'll say it then. That is right. We mustn't feel bad about this. If you're feeling, man, dude, you're just coming out of the blocks and you hit me with a brick. Don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel behind. Rather than just say, I'm a hypocrite, say, I love Jesus, and I am learning how 
to live in the kingdom of God. Every one of us, every one of us can say this. At some point in this journey, I love Jesus. I had to as a kid or my dad would have spanked me. But as I got older, I fell in love with Jesus myself. But even on that day, the decision to give my heart to Jesus did not mean that all of these ways and these cultures and these values of Jesus were instantly my values. Spiritual formation for me is the process of aligning my life with the values and the ways of the kingdom of God. When that is done, then I have been formed into his image. And I am not there yet. But I marvel at his ways. I'm intrigued with his ways. And the longer I live, the more I think he's right. When he says from the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. The boy in me says they knew exactly what they were doing. But the man in me says, maybe he's on to something. Maybe they didn't know what they were doing. Maybe he was releasing his enemies because that is what good people... He wasn't trying to be spiritual. He wasn't trying to be righteous. He wasn't trying to set us an example. He was acting in a way that was consistent with his beautiful mind. And the man in me says... I want that. I will get that. There is probably no place in the vision of the kingdom of God where Jesus and his contemporaries were further apart than in the matter of um, how, when, and where. How will this kingdom come? When is this going to happen? And where will it come from? They said, the kingdom of God is like a meteorite. <laughs> Not really their words, but... It was that idea. It will come from out of the sky. It will hit the earth with a mighty thud. It will leave an indelible imprint. The unrighteous will either get out of the way or they will be crushed. It will be unforeseen and unwelcome and unstoppable. But it will come from God himself suddenly, Boom, there it is. He said, no, the kingdom of God is more like a mustard seed. There's, it takes seven to eight hundred of these little things to equal one gram, which is one twenty-eighth of an ounce. He said the kingdom of God is more like a mustard seed that on the day it falls to the ground, nobody notices and it never changes a thing, but it is powerful and it is alive. 
And within 72 hours, it will send forth its first shoot. You can crush it if you want, but there is so light that it blows like dust. You'll get that one, but not all the others. And when they start to grow, they will in time spread over an entire field. And when they are full grown, between two and three years, they will become one of the largest plants in the entire region. In fact, they will send down roots deep into the soil that they have been known to uproot foundations of large buildings. The footings crack when that thing begins to grow. They said, no, no, no. No, the kingdom is powerful and overwhelming. It will come from the outside and it will form a religious society. It will force the unrighteous to live according to the laws of God. For if they don't, they will be condemned. And Jesus said, no, the kingdom of God is like yeast. That a woman mixes with the flour and then she kneads it into the dough and then she sets it on the counter and lets it rise. And during the night, while she is sleeping, the yeast will ferment the dough and give off little bubbles of carbon dioxide, which, when baked, evaporate my wife, because I'm a donut freak, every once in a while my wife will say, we need to eat healthy. We need to have homemade donuts. <laughs> That's my idea of health food. And so she will, she will take the flour with the yeast and she will... Um, mix it in the dough, and then she will put in the cinnamon, and we will set these little cinnamon rolls about that big around on a pan with, you can see tiny streaks of cinnamon inside of them. We will cover it with wax paper and then go to bed. And in the morning when we get up, those suckers have exploded. <laughs> They're like that big. They're as big as your head. And the, and the rings of cinnamon is spread all out. And we will pop them in the oven. And the oven will only formalize what the yeast has done in the night. When she makes bread, she'll put it in a bread pan in the same thing. She will mix the yeast and the flour and the flour and the dough, set the dough in the bread pan, and it looks like a tiny little log down there. I'll put a piece of wax paper over the top of it, and when we get up in the morning, that pan is virtually exploded. It is swollen. All we need now to do is to put the pan inside the oven, and the oven will formalize what the yeast has done silently, quietly, imperceptibly in the night when no one is looking. The kingdom of God 
is the yeast. It is not the bread pan. The bread pan can shape the dough, but only the yeast will make it rise. The bread pan can give us structure and form, but only the yeast will give it life. If this seems obvious to you, consider how many times when we try to change something, we start with the bread pan. We have this idea if we can change the way somebody acts, they are different people. But people are not different, completely different, until they are changed at the smallest cellular level. We have not transformed society until we have transformed people. And we have not transformed people until we transform hearts. And we haven't transformed hearts until we transform wills. And we haven't transformed the will until we have transformed the bent of the will. And we haven't transformed the bent of the will until we have transformed the inclination of the bent of the will. Then the heart is changed The person is changed and society is changed. Now we can and we must change as many things in a structure as possible to provide justice and righteousness insofar as we can. But something has not totally changed until the yeast has transformed it, changed its structure from the inside. Some, this is the genius. This is the genius of Christianity. It does not require one particular culture in order to thrive. Christianity can enter one country and change it. And it will enter another country and change it. And another country and change it. And these countries can all look different. But all of them rise when the gospel of Christ is preached. It is not changed by enforcing our will. Whether through a regime, a king, a president, a law, or a new set of rules. This does not change us. We are only changed on the inside, finally. What does this mean? I think, um, I think it means, first, never underestimate small. You say, I don't. Yes, you do. (laughs) And so do I. Because we live in a culture that values large. 
we believe that the better something is, the larger it gets. That's our bias. The more it spreads, the more it takes over. We value what is large, what is loud, what is sudden, what is obvious. And this parable teaches us the power of small things. Listen carefully. I'm not despising large things. I'm simply saying when something becomes large, it inherits a list of challenges that small things don't struggle with. The moment something becomes large, it becomes awkward, harder to manage, sometimes clumsy. When something is large, there is at the center of it individuals who worry about getting larger. It's, it's individuals who are worried about staying on the edge, about always being ahead of the competition. They worry about sustainability. There are boards who worry what will happen when the leader of this large organization moves on and will we find somebody else and there's too much at stake, they say, when something becomes large. When it becomes large, they start to restructure in order to become, of all things, small. This is not saying if your organization or your, your, your profits or your church is large, it's compromised. I am not saying that. I'm simply saying large is not always powerful. Small can be extremely powerful. If it falls to the ground and it is hidden and it is invisible and it seems to not change anything on the day that you do it or say it, you must not despise the power of that small thing to uproot old foundations and change society in the largest of ways. which is the second thing I'm saying. Small can be powerful, even when it's you. And those small moments and those small places and small acts and hidden things that nobody sees, that you're sure are not changing anything. God will use them to change things once and for all. Things are not always fast. Sometimes they're slow. In fact, I'd even go as far as to say the more lasting the change, the longer it takes for things to change. So while you may not be getting the results that you want on this day, you will get what you want over the long haul if you continue to do what is right and what is true and what is good. You don't have to be popular. You're not. And you don't have to be famous because you're not. You don't have to be powerful. 
You don't have to get elected. You don't have to be mega talented because you're not. But you have to be alive. And you are. And when you fall to the hidden places, if you are faithful and true and you will not compromise, God will take those tiny things and in just a few hours it'll send up a shoot. And in two to three years it will have built traction and send down roots that have the potential of uprooting and destabilizing subversively. the very structures that you once wanted to crush. You're not losing. You're winning. You just don't know it. So I want to encourage you. Be strong. Be alive. Live with integrity in the places where God has put you. If you feel that your voice has not been heard, you've been moved out of powerful positions. If you feel as you get older in life, the younger generations are no longer listening. If you feel that the culture is drifting away from what you thought was true religion, the answer is not in the right regime the answer is in the slow and steady rise of the faithful, and you are among them. Be true. Be true. I look back um, some time ago at the people in my life that God has brought mustard seeds, you know, yeast, that changed me. You don't know them. I have a folder in my back office that every time somebody sends me a note, I, and it's a real, I mean, it's, wow, this is a powerful note of encouragement. I shove it in the folder. I'll read it one time, and then I put it in the folder. And then I never look through that thing. I haven't looked through it in 35 years. But the folder is gradually getting wider and wider. Um, my goal is someday when I'm in a nursing home, <laughs> I'm going to have somebody bring me that file. And when I'm starting to feel that I've poured all this time and energy into my generation and haven't done really anything of significance, that's when I'm going to start reading those notes. So I looked through them the other day. <laughs> Not because I'm retiring, relaxed. And I don't think I'm going to a nursing home, though there are days I feel like I need it. I look through them to find out why did I save that one and not the other one. And I noticed a steady line of invisible people who were affirming almost invisible acts. There's not a single note that says, after I talked with you or after I heard you or after we met, my life made a 180 degree change. All of them said, I changed maybe three degrees. <laughs> great. But if you change three degrees over 30 years, there is a marked difference. 